Welcome, everyone, to our third episode of Upbeat, the podcast. I'm John True, Education Specialist and Generation Unlimited Focal Point for UNICEF South Asia. For the past few weeks, we've had a lot going on under the Adolescent Skills and Employability Community of Practice, and we're just getting started. In last week's episode of Upbeat, the podcast, we talked about innovations in UNICEF and how they're being catalyzed and leveraged through UNICEF's Office of Innovation highlighting the upcoming ACE Generation Project to be implemented by UNICEF South Asia Office, along with the offices from Bangladesh, India, Bhutan, and the Maldives. For this episode, we will discuss how adolescents and young people are active game changers. Indeed, the potential of young people is exponential, given the right platform and opportunities. And that's what we want to explore today in this episode of Upbeat, the podcast. As always, I'm proud to have a young person from South Asia to join me as co-host. For today, I'm happy to be joined by Tenzin Wangmo, a youth volunteer from Bhutan. Tenzin, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Hi, everyone. My name is Tenzin Wangmo, and I study at the College of Natural Resources. I am in my final year, and I'm doing my thesis on climate-smart agriculture. I have to say that my roots for volunteerism lie in a program called Youth Initiative, where we learned a lot about policy implementation and how youth like me can play a role in the development of a country. And then on, I spread my area into various youth advocacy platforms like YPR. More recently, me and a group of my friends are carrying out an advocacy program on non-communicable disease through a nonprofit organization called Darayana. I'm so happy to have you with us. I just have one question for you. Uh, How is the COVID situation uh, going in Bhutan? Well, for now, the country has, we seem to have contained most of the cases, but for a small number of 700,000 in the country, I still have to say that it's very severe. I mean, there's at least one child positive every day. And not only that, not just the health crisis, but then I feel like education sector was hit the most, which is a very, uh, very um, heartfelt cause of mine. And I don't know, I feel like the crisis here just became about learning and not about schooling because our enrollment rates are so high, but then the dropout rates are so high too. Yeah, I can hear the passion in your voice and the difficulties uh, that you and your um, your compatriots are facing. And, and we're happy to have you with us. And we're going to explore more of these topics today uh, on Upbeat, the podcast. Since this episode is focusing on young people as active game changers for ACE and social impact, I am glad to be joined by two young women from the region as guests. Ms. Isha Farooq, Assistant Director at Jago Foundation, Bangladesh, and Ms. Minakshi Ruhela, Program Coordinator at Prava, India. Pleasure to have you both here. How are you all doing? Hi. Um, yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. And I'm really excited to be part of this and share what's going on in South Asia. I'm equally excited to be here and just happy to see a bunch of us just talking and engaging. Yes. We'll try to have a good time today and enlighten our listeners as well. So let's jump right into this week's episode of Upbeat. And my first question goes to the both of you. 
Recent events have catapulted the issue of women and girls to the forefront of the global agenda. How can we make sure that the rights of women and girls are respected across the region, given the unfolding events? We'll start with you, Isha. This particular issue actually reminds me of the recent situation in, with Afghanistan, how globally immediately the after effect was we all were concerned about the women and girls of South Asia overall. Um, and I think this, this particular issue will have a significant impact on the women empowerment in South Asia. Um, but uh, we are positive uh, thinking that how they are saying that they will be quite positive and forward moving and prioritize women. Because when you talk about South Asia, you are actually talking about these individual countries as well. So we need to protect and empower the women of this individual country like Bangladesh, India, Bhutan, Nepal, Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan to overall protect the right of women. So yeah, that is something I think we should think about. Thanks so much. Manakshi? Right. So thank you, Isha, for sharing what you did. I think that's very relevant uh, to the current times. And uh, this question is actually very close to my heart because this is something that I've worked on, uh, especially in my experience at Prava. And uh, there are various ways to address this issue. For example, policy change, legal approach, rights-based approach, and many more. However, through my work, uh, I have deeply engaged with the psychosocial approach. And that's what I have seen very closely, which is why uh, that's what I will pick up today and I want to talk about. Um, and I believe that the answer to what you're asking is twofold. One part of it lies in creating spaces and interventions where young women can be supported to claim their agency. While knowledge sharing is important, uh, capacities like negotiation, influencing stakeholders and advocating for rights are important for young women. While these spaces are being created, it is equally important to work with the stakeholders in the lives of young women so that they can experience and learn how they can actually play an active role in creating enabling spaces as adults at home, at institutions, and in the society at large. I just want to share an example, a beautiful story of a young woman from Uttar Pradesh uh, who grew up to be a youth leader of her community through one of Prava's program called My Life Mere Faisle, which translates to My Life, My Decisions. Um, so this young leader identified a girl in her community who was in distress. Uh, this woman was pregnant out of wedlock and she was denied maternal health care because of the taboo surrounding it. Uh, this youth leader recognized how her right to maternal health care was denied and felt like uh, she had the need to do something about it. Uh, she actively applied her capacities of negotiation first with her own family uh, to address this issue since they were very hesitant with letting her go out and talking about this issue in the community. And once she was able to do that, uh, she went out and started having conversations with the family of the girl, trying to understand their point of view, empathize, and then negotiate further. Um, while she did that, she was also able to bring in uh, the local uh, NGO working there, Yes Foundation, for support. And finally, together, they were able to uh, connect maternal health care and uh, the woman in need. So uh, I just deeply believe like this is an act of courage uh, to be able to see the impact of a young person doing something like this. While I 
uh, having gotten the privileges that I got of living in a city, I still feel uh, hesitant in negotiating within my own family. So it's just it just warms my heart uh, to see the impact of this. Both of you, I can see that this is a deeply personal issue um, to your work. And building on that, I'll come to you, Isha, first. But this question is for both of you. How did you start being engaged in this work? And why do you pursue it? And what is that motivation? And where does that stem from for your engagement in, in this sort of work? Um, thank you, John. So um, my story start journey started quite early. So as a part of my education program in early schools, I had to do some, you know, field works, which is part of my education. But I never wanted to get involved in development sector in development work. So I am a doctor by uh, academically, I'm a doctor. I studied medicine. And um, but somehow when I was studying medicine, I realized that um, you know, when you are a doctor, definitely it's a very noble profession and you actually do a lot for the people. But at the same time, developing sector is a, it's, it's a type of work where you actually, you give back to the community you are from and you are actually bringing a change. You see the change every day that is happening. So I started uh, with that actually, that uh, gradually and Jago gave me the platform where I was very young when I joined Jago and um, I, was, uh, I, I was given the platform to do whatever I want to do and how I want to make change the community and how can community participation make social changes. So that was a big part that actually helped me to pursue this, uh, this path. Uh, later now in my life and I think one of the biggest motivation this is not for me I think it's uh, it's for all the development workers it's like uh, in this sector you can see the change every day you can see the work you are doing and how it's affecting the life of at least one person so for me through Jago I can see that how the how 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 underprivileged children who would never get education they are getting a support from us and I see a youth from a remote rural area and actually coming to us with a plan and actually implementing them, benefiting 10 more people. So that's the biggest uh, motivation for me to be in this career and with this platform. So, yeah. And actually? Well, lovely to hear from you, Isha. Uh, my journey began when I was uh, studying and I was studying English literature at the time. And while I was doing that, I was I got a chance to explore a lot of issues and thematics that exist in the society. And once I saw them, I could not unsee. So issues around patriarchy, casteism, uh, and many more. I saw them playing out within my own family, within my own friend circle, within my own institution. And uh, that is something that caused me hurt that are we the ones propagating something that I am so, I'm so deeply passionate about. Uh, so that's when I started to explore uh, volunteering. I started working with different NGOs. Uh, I started working on ground with people to understand what exactly is happening. Uh, and all of that gave me an opportunity to challenge my own belief system, to challenge the way I approach development work to challenge the way I approach talking about different different issues. Um, and finally, uh, Prava happened in my life. When Prava happened in my life, I was not necessarily very high on social hope because uh, 
doing everything i did it wasn't really turning out into anything i was just understanding but not reaching anywhere and uh, at prava i felt very very connected to the space because i got a community to be part of a community where i felt safe a community where i felt nurtured and invested in as a young person and uh, it was not just an investment in my career growth but also in myself uh, my conflicts my relationships uh, and a lot more things prava is actually the space where i finally got a chance to feel like myself and i realized i'm a stand up comic uh, i although i haven't explored it but i just truly got a chance to breathe and explore my journey there um my hook uh, was when i was uh, working on resolving conflicts within my own family and with my parents and when i started to see change there i think that's when i truly believe that change is possible and i felt so inspired by the process i felt like every young person uh, should feel what i felt should feel a part of community should feel like they are truly invested in and they are cared for and i think that's why i do what i do to be able to create that for other young people wow so that's some deeply inspiring work from both isha and minakshi so now this next question can go to the both of you what stands in the way of being engaged in critical decisions in the development process or development work some things that come to mind especially in south asia are patriarchal issues male bias gender stereotypes or even uh, disproportionate economic equities between urban and rural areas so how do you think these affect engagement isha would you like to start i think uh, uh, when we talk about the challenges women face it's for south asia it's it's an ancient issue it's it's it's, it's been there for like thousands of years it, it is there and uh, particularly if i talk about bangladesh it's a very young country which is only 50 years old and in last 15 years there we are going through a transition so now we see that um, our prime minister is a woman our opposition is in as a woman our speaker is a woman however still we see there is a gap uh, of women in the leadership positions in the industries and uh, there is definitely a lot of uh, patriarchal issues that is affecting women every day and it is more in the rural areas where it becomes difficult for a woman to make a decision no matter how much you educate the girl you will see uh, eventually the girl will remain inside the home and i think one of the major reason behind this is um, uh, we don't like to count equity so but we have to understand that when we're talking about gender inequality equity is very important so we have to gender sensitize uh, both the genders for example um, if i talk about jago so uh, we have education program and youth program for in education program we have 55% of our students are uh, female and for the youth program we have a, a quota system for the youth uh, uh, for the female leaders that they can actually get into this and come to the leadership position but uh, we have seen that how rurally it's very difficult for women to come through the politics and get the leadership position 
So uh, thinking of all that, we actually, we are planning, we almost, we soft launch Jago Women. So that will particularly focus on women, their capacity building and gender sensitization. But this program at the same time, as I said before, that we, there, there are a lot of interventions that are completely focused on women, but we also need to sensitize the men. We have to make them understand. We have to change the view of the men as well that women should get their right and there should be an equity between them. So I think this, this is an important issue we all need to understand that when South Asia as a whole, when it's going uh, through the time of transition, when, uh, uh, if you see the COVID situation, the gender-based violence is really four times higher due, uh, during the COVID. So I think it's very important to uh, understand that why women should get what they get they should get so it's it's important for women right and um this this issues like when you pull a woman back you're actually pulling the whole generation back so it actually affects the decision making and it's kind of i uh, i'm quite surprised to see that it's sometimes it is prevalent in privileged society as well so i see in my family uh minakshi was mentioning that a lot of things she actually uh, designed from her family. So even I am privileged, still I see there are issues, there are gender biased issues in my families. So that that actually affects female decision making. I think we should be more gender sensitive to both the genders to make them understand about women rights and uh, women, uh, women uh, I think how women actually, we want to see women in the society, especially in South Asia, yeah. Thanks Nisha, Minakshi. Thank you for this question. I think this is uh, very important to talk about as more and more young women, like Isha mentioned, that there is a transformation that is happening. Uh, more and more young women are uh, coming into spaces of decision making and they are more actively taking part. I think that there are various narratives and stereotypes that play out and they block out the participation of young women, uh, including myself at times in the development work that we do. And the one that bugs me the most is the belief or narrative that young women do not know enough, that their opinions are baseless and lack research, knowledge or experience. Uh, young women are often seen as all energy and no commitment. And I wouldn't say that that's true. Uh, that's a stereotype that's true for just women. It's true for all young people also in general. Um, where not enough trust is placed in them and their capability, which eventually le leads to them not wanting to take ownership of what they are engaged in. Uh, when the indicators of development work are not set by young people or young women um, and people of different identities, are they then really the equal partners as we talk about lately? So uh, being a young woman working in the development sector, the funny thing was that when I finally had the freedom to lead and make decisions, I found myself unable to do so confidently because all my life I was asked to receive the decisions made for me instead of being taught the capacity of how to make them. The lack of being part of the process is what made me feel disempowered. Now, when we talk about different identities and intersectionalities, that too acts as a major barrier. People of all identities should be able to feel empowered to input into the development process, but it often ends up in a situation 
where they are made conscious of where they come from for example who decides which issue is important and why who occupies the majority spaces whose word is considered as being the final one the devil is in the details as to what is the process of development is it just sharing information with who we call the beneficiaries or is it providing space and capacity such that young leaders of any identity feel empowered and are able to thrive at prava we engage with young people uh, by keeping them in the center and we co-design unique leadership journeys with and for each one of them and uh, again going back to the previous question that was asked the reason i do the work that i do at prava is because i have received and been able to create shared leadership and i truly live the value of co-creation and collaboration thanks isha and anakshi I believe the male literacy rate in Bhutan is 75% and the women literacy rate is 57%. So it's safe to say that South Asia has this, has the same cases after all. So to go on to the next question, how do we reconcile the fact that young people and adolescents need support, need different platforms and need and the need to treat them as equal partners in the development process? like i mentioned earlier in order for young people and adolescents to be treated as equal partners the collective spaces that we hold need to be co-designed and co-led the development work needs to emerge from these collective brainstorming spaces where we co-decide what are the indicators of success so that young people and adolescents they feel the ownership to arrive at a solution so one of prava's program is smile fellowship where we invite young people who are interested in running their own social action projects in their community within a 6 month fellowship journey a safe space is created for them to co-design the objectives and success indicators for their projects so they get the support of their peers and mentors and together they are able to create a sense of community where they can truly be themselves and since there is a trust that is placed in their journey by their mentors they are more willing to take risks make mistakes and learn from them this space uh, allows for them to take ownership of not just their own project and engagement but also the larger community all the things uh, that i have just mentioned are also actively uh, grounded in reflection and action basis based on that reflection another thing that i'd like to point out is that the pandemic has taken away a sense of connection uh, community and has only added to the feeling of alienation many young people have been forced to go back to spaces where they do not feel safe it is now more than ever that we need to support young people and adolescents with the space and capacities so that they can truly feel empowered and hopeful it would also require uh, the older ones to approach youth work from the lens of curiosity and empathy um passing the mic as they say thank you manakshi that was really nice um i think um uh, if we see the uh, the overall situation of south asia there is a youth there is a youth bulge there is a age group that is actually bulging out and uh, the population pyramid is kind of double shaped where majority of the population is between the age of 15 to 35 so it, it this itself actually says that you need to actually this this age group needs to be heard 
And um, uh, for uh, for Bangladesh, in the last 15 years, we have seen that uh, how youth of this country, they have come forward and raised their voice. So a lot of organizations now, like, uh, like Jago, they actually have a platform for the youth to raise their voice, where they are actually coming up with their ideas and their what matters to them. For example, today we are having this uh, dialogue, uh, which is Youth Voice Matters, which is basically a platform for the youth to come up with their issues and discussing this with the uh, policy leaders, the politicians, to talk about what is actually going on and what needs to be heard and what are the changes we need to do. So even though I think um, we are hearing in South Asia and especially what Minakshi mentioned about her fellowship and other, other uh, uh, initiatives. And also I know that there are initiatives in Sri Lanka and also in Bhutan and Nepal where youth are coming up and they are actually raising their voice. They have to take it, in, we have to take it into an action that understanding that what the adults are, what the adolescents and youth actually need for, the, um, for their future. Because this workforce, if we don't uh, uh, utilize this workforce and uh, capitalize them, the, the development process won't go forward. So for South Asia, we need to uh, empower and build capacity of this uh, adolescent and youth age group to make a better future for, I think, next generation as well as for us also. So yeah, we were getting old, so yeah. yeah. Nisha, that's exactly right. That youth board you talked about, that board just really in my belly these days. <laughs> but what I really wanted to pick up uh, from your conversation was really about being heard. Yesterday, two days ago, we held a consultation on skills and employability for UNICEF's 75th anniversary. And we'll be holding another one for South Asia for young people from across the region to really get have their voices heard on October the 8th with our country offices and hearing regional perspectives. And it would be vital that your members participate in that so that you can influence UNICEF's future direction and strategic plan at the marquee 75th anniversary. So I invite all of our listeners to participate in that event as well. These have been some insightful conversations we're having. Now we're going to have a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have a deeper dive into the conversation with our guests. So please stay tuned to Upbeat, the podcast. UNICEF's Regional Office of South Asia, or its Adolescent Skills and Employability Community of Practice, is thrilled to invite you to the Asia-Pacific Expert Summit, Dialogues on the Post-COVID-19 World of Work from September 28 to 30, 2021. The online event will highlight challenges and opportunities brought about by the COVID-19 pandemic and the way forward, especially in skilling and preparing adolescents and young people for green and blue jobs and 21st century jobs. The event will also provide strategic policy recommendations for a future where all adolescents and youth have equitable access to employable skills and decent work in the future. Join thought leaders, youth, practitioners, and experts from governments, development institutions, academia, and civil society organizations from the region in a multi-stakeholder dialogue on the future of work. Find out more and register at bit.ly slash join the experts summit. Watch out for more podcast episodes. 
webinars, and spotlight videos highlighting country offices within South Asia. Follow us on Yammer at South Asia Ace Community of Practice. And don't forget to use the hashtag, hashtag UpbeatThePodcast. And now we're back. I believe our listeners would love to know more about each of your organizations and the work that you're doing around skills and employability and empowerment. So Prava, um, to your organization, what have you been doing in this sector specifically? And what excites you about that work? Uh, I would just start us off with a little bit about Prava and how it started. Uh, so that we can get a con- context and then move into the whys and hows of what we are doing. Uh, so Prava is a youth development organization which started in 1993 with the idea of creating spaces for young people to voice their opinions on issues that are relevant to them. Over the years, we have evolved as an organization working with adolescents and youth on journeys from self to society which includes developing self through deep self-awareness, investing in interpersonal relationships and social action. Um, In addition to this, we also have supported an ecosystem of youth-centric initiatives and youth-led organizations to thrive. Now, uh, coming back to the question around skills and employability, we took a deep dive into this about six years ago when skilling was just becoming a buzzword in India when it came to youth work. Uh, It is well recognized that India has been experiencing a youth pulse like Isha was just talking about uh, in South Asian context. Uh, And in order to tap this demographic dividend, the government skilling initiatives uh, are aiming for 300 million skilled people by 2022. Uh, Although in spite of young people being trained in masses, the country is still facing two major challenges. One where employees are struggling to find the right employees for the job, another being a high attrition rate. If we go back to India Skills Report uh, launched in 2017, employers look for a combination of 71% life skills and 29% of trade skills in potential recruits. Now, given this context, if I talk about myself as a young person who wants to be employed, I do not just seek employment, but also continuous career growth and sustainability. In the Indian context, the focus has been much more on technical uh, or trade skills and not as much on employability skills, which supports a young person to not just survive or get a job, but also thrive and grow in their field. Now, that's the reason why it's important to talk about abilities beyond just skills. It's not that those skills are not relevant, but having the capacity to use those skills is a game changer. So Prava's response to support this need of young people has been the creation of ability on skills program. This program ensures holistic growth of young people by building 21st century employability skills and entrepreneurial mindset. It equips uh, them with values, attitudes, and behavior to get employed, sustain their employment, and do the job with excellence. So far, our curriculum has been able to reach out to 50,000 young people uh, and 500 trainers across 25 states and through 35 partnerships. Uh, Through this program, 
Krava has been able to cater to the needs of diverse young people across socio-economic backgrounds through universities, CSR, and foundation partnerships. I am so glad and it is so hopeful to hear that there is so much potential that you see in young people like me, Minakshi, and how we can potentially scale up and be solutions to the problems that we face today. I'm sure our young listeners will be inspired to know that we can make huge changes in our world. So indeed, what our educational system provides and what our society demands has a very wide gap. So even in Bhutan, we outsource a lot of our vocational and creative experts from outside. The discrimination against vocational education is not only destructive to our children, but also destructive to our country. Now over to you, Isha. Can you please tell us what is Jago Foundation and how have you meaningfully engaged with young people in your initiatives, especially during the time of COVID-19? So I will start with the literal meaning of the word Jago. It means wake up. It's kind of a call, wake up. Is, we call it Jago. So um, it is, uh, Jago is a Bangladesh-based non-government organization. So we have been working for the last 14 years providing uh, formal education to the underprivileged children and at the same time empowering with through our youth development program. So um, under the youth development program, we currently have 40,000 registered youth leaders all over the country. And the main objective of this uh, program is basically to encourage the young people to be actively uh, involved in programs related to uh, social impact skills and uh, employability. We provide capacity building trainings to the youth. Okay, when I say capacity building training, it's it actually it's a vast field and it covers a lot of starting from democracy and governance to uh, safe reproductive health system and a lot uh, how to you know soft skills that will uh, help in employability in future and it, it covers all of this and um, the it is quite it, the the program is actually open for all. But uh, we don't have an age limit, but we actually encourage uh, youth people between the young people between the age of 15 to 35 years to join us because we have seen that how, how what, uh, what energy they can actually bring to the system when they actually come in. Particularly if I talk about the uh, pandemic situation, the COVID system. Initially, to be honest, we were a bit... Uh, we were not sure if we want our youth leaders to go to the community. So at the beginning, we were not uh, we were not saying anything to them. But it was to our surprise that the youth leaders from different districts they came step forward and they actually pushed us that they want to go to the community and help the people. And um, so far, they have conducted uh, COVID awareness campaigns, behavioral campaigns. And you know, when the vaccine came and there was uh, this. Um, taboo thing that uh, everyone shouldn't get vaccinated, vaccine will might kill people. So these volunteers, they actually conducted door-to-door -door, uh, session with the underprivileged people, go to the local shops and actually help them to register under the government vaccination program. So we kind of re uh, registered 50,000 underprivileged elderly population under the system. And then uh, we ran some uh, mask awareness campaign and uh, other awareness campaign and reached a lot, uh, thousands of people. So we thought that's 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 an end for them. But the volunteers then came up with the idea that 
there are red zones uh, who are uh, severely affected. And we know that how pandemic actually hit the economic situation of uh, in general, and it basically it, uh, hit it more to the underprivileged people. So they went to those houses with precaution and distributed relief to those areas, they uh, to the people. So it was amazing to see that how, what the power they, the young people, the innovation, the creativity they have that that they bring from the rural part to the central and. And this is this is actually interesting. What the the only thing they require is some support from the people who are sitting on this side of the table. So this is very important. And what is uh, uh, one thing about our youth uh, development program is we believe in decentralization. So majority of our programs we don't control centrally. So we have this uh, district and divisional hubs where they are uh, separate elected member youth members who run the uh, community, who ensure projects, because there are different communities. They don't, uh, they need different things. Thanks so much. It reminds me of something that I always like to say is that we're not just inviting young people into the boardroom, but when they're ready, we're giving them boardroom responsibilities. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for today's episode. This has been one of the most powerful episodes that we've taped of Upbeat. These are the voices of youth leadership. This is what youth leadership looks like across South Asia. And I'm just humbled, very so humbled to be able to spend some time with each of you, all three of you today, including our co-host. What an impactful and interesting session that we've been able to put together today. And I appreciate all of our listeners for tuning in today. But before I go, I have one last question that I ask all of our guests. All three of you, I'm going to ask, have a deep sense of purpose that comes through in your, in, in your stories and in your voices. What I want to know is what keeps you awake at night during this time of uncertainty? I'll start with um, Isha. Okay, thank you. Um, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a sleepy person, so I go to bed very early. But yeah, definitely, um, I think pandemic personally it didn't affect, affect me in 2020. It actually affected me in 2021. When I realized that it is having a huge impact on our mental health and other stuff. So what I think every day, definitely being a woman and facing the challenges, I know that uh, how the adult and youth women are facing problems every day. And at the same time, how young adolescent male are being uh, ignored a lot of time. We, we kind of, we, there is an imbalance between them. Um, so I, I worry about the voices that are left unheard and the, the places where the, uh, the person or the place I, I can't reach yet or I can't make a change yet. So I hope I, I, I can go there and help them and have a balance in, you know, balance in their life, which is, a, I think it's a very big, big, big dream, but um, let's see how it goes. We are changing. And I hope that the youth of this, uh, this, this region, they are tremendously energetic and positive to make a change for South Asia. So, yeah. Thanks so much. Tenzin, how about you? What keeps you awake at night? So, um, 
I have to say, regardless of the pandemic, I'm very passionate about rural development. That's essentially why I took up agriculture as well. So for a population, one fourth of the population flocks to urban areas. And when we talk about urban areas in Bhutan, there's only one, the capital. So think about a population of 700,000 and one fourth of that population flocks to the urban areas for jobs, for education, for anything. So that really leaves us wondering what are our rural, rural youth doing, right? I mean, the source of employment in rural areas are mostly agriculture and farming. And that doesn't leave much for their that doesn't leave much space for their aspirations and what do they want to explore to continue doing. So especially in terms of education, I feel like there's a lot we can do here in Bhutan. A liberal education should, con should uh, contribute to the holistic development of the child and not essentially just STEM subjects, just maths, not that, but also provide a child provide the child a way for uh, self-expression and to know their own cultural identity. So I feel like that's one of the major issues in Bhutan right now. And finally to you, Manakshi, what keeps you awake at night? I am deeply grateful to the community uh, and the sense of belongingness that I now have. I don't just have a community now with whom I can truly feel safe with but I also have the capacity to create such strong communities. What really keeps me up at night is that there are way too many young people who are craving such spaces. They are looking out for hope to hold on to. And I wonder how many more people feel as alienated as I did. And I just keep trying to find ways how we can reach out to anyone in need and build a strong sense of community for young people who don't only find the space for themselves to grow into, but also are able to support their peers in need, especially while we are going through such times of unrest. That was such an inspiring and insightful conversation. Again, thank you so much, Isha and Minakshi, for coming on to this episode of Upbeat. These have been your hosts, Tenzin Wangmo and John Triu, signing off. Now to our listeners, what did you think? We want to hear from you. Share your thoughts on Yammer using the hashtag Upbeat, the podcast. Make sure to ask questions, share your stories, and we'll feature them in succeeding episodes. See you in the next episode as we together unfold possibilities. Bye for now. Bye.